today. My name is The Dude, and I am the one and only rogue who's ever triumphed over the Flash. So many times I've lost count. Listen, dude, the others may swallow this routine of yours, but it just makes me gag. It's going to take proof to convince me. The eyewitness kind. Fair enough, Mirror Master. I'm perfectly willing to let you watch me score another brilliant victory over the Flash. If you make it worth my while. Professor Zoom Productions, in association with the Fire and Water Podcast Network, proudly present for your listening pleasure, the Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show, hosted by Professor Zoom Yukonori. Today's episode, Catch Me If You Can. Previously on the Dun and One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show. When I agreed to assist you in these therapeutic larcenies, we had also agreed that this arrangement would cause no harm. You said nothing about a robot body. Another self-run experiment on harboring a secret of my own. This little statue of this Ungarian fluje is carved out of pure stellarium. The malefactor stole a portrait of my mother. It seems the malefactor is part of a criminal band known as the Zoom Crew. The scum must be found at all costs. I ain't been on the Owl Hoot Trail since the 1980s. I want to believe you, Terra Man, but you still seem as shifty as ever. Somehow, one of these Tynola Extra Strength Caplets was switched with a Tylenol Extra Strength Caplet from Earth. This cargo contains the exact amount of Stellarium required. Enough Stellarium for what? It is for a... Surprise, Entity Terraman. All will be revealed in time. Okay. I'll just help myself to one of these Lyseth Valk live in concert holovids from this crate thar. Your hunch to closely monitor all Stellarium shipments for potential theft had bloomed, sir. I want that escape portal reopened, large enough for our cruiser to pass through. We can't let the professor know nothing, Lamo. He wouldn't understand. The Galactic Centurions must be searching for my clever switch-a-pitch thief as well. On October 18th, 2019, the entire Zoom crew will be no more. There really isn't anything we can do about Darkseid, Mr. Manning, until the time comes. If the time comes. We sided to visit Bizarro World. Us Bizarro Zoom crew. You will all come with us. Bizarro Zoom crew gone. Three other men out of armor not escape as well. Can you not describe what armor men not look like? 
not look like that. Who red bold fancy man behind him? I am the Supreme High Chancellor of Ungara. And you are under arrest. And now, the continuation. Ungara? The homeworld to the late Green Lantern Aben Sur? Please note for the record that the accused had demonstrated familiarity with my homeworld. So noted, Your Excellency. With all due respect, Chancellor. You may address the Supreme High Chancellor as Your Excellency. Forgive me, Your Excellency, but surely there has been a mistake. Mistake? Oh, I do not believe so. We had been investigating my, uh, criminal activity in our sector of space. We have reason to believe your Zoom crew is behind it. Very clever to have you lead a false trail to that band of artificial decoys on that strange cube-shaped world. So you're behind the recent kidnapping of the Bizarro Zoom crew? There were no sleeping children whatsoever. We had arrested the Bizarros initially as suspects, but are now holding them for interfering with an official investigation. I assure you that was not their intention. I will admit your decoy tactics had fooled the Centurions, which was why I insisted on transporting myself from Ongara through the Spatial Warp to personally supervise the Centurions' pursuit of this imitation Superman, who no doubt came here to notify you that your diversion tactic was successful. Spatial Warp? Of course, that action had instead led us right here to this place. And to you. Now then, him, the one in the curled headgear. He matches the description of the malefactor who had stolen my... our most precious Ronjin statue. He is a member of your... crew, is he not? Forgive me for having to seek clarification, Your Excellency, but may I ask you for the year, or solar cycle, that you are from? What do you mean? This is not Ungarian Solar Cycle 583762.8? Actually, no. You are in a future time period. I suspected as much, since this Earth-1 universe is completely unpop- Uh, what I should say is, I believe your solar cycle is the same as the Earth year 1984. It is currently Earth year 2019, or... Um, let's see, carry the five, and solar cycle 642775.something. Solar cycle 642? What madness is this? He is obviously lying, Your Excellency. My communicator has been in constant contact with Ungara Guard Command. The chronometers are still at solar cycle 5-8. Are you transmitting through the cordoned off spatial warp? Ah, uh, yes, your excellency. Why not try sending a transmission to Ungara directly? Ah, uh, right away, your excellency. It will take a few Glarniks for cartographic scans to locate the planet from here. And if you would allow me one moment, please, Your Excellency. No one is to leave this room. Uh, I assure you, I only wish to... Your Excellency, 
We require you to input the clearance codes so we may hail Ungara High Command once we have located the planet. What do you mean, once you have located the planet? The cartographic scans are taking a little longer than expected, but if we have your codes already inputted in our system, we can send a hail immediately once we... Very well. Just punch it in on this comp here. And here. And here. And also here. And here as well. And here. And there. And here. And here. And while they're working that out... And also here. And here again. And here. Mr. Manning, a word. Professor. You told the Batman in episode 10 that all of your outlaw days were in the past. Was Angara one of the planets on your Owl Hoot trail back then? Pardon? My printed DC Comics only cover your thefts of Rembrandt paintings in one issue of Action Comics in the year 1984. So I am asking you, point blank, sir, on your word as a gentleman, did you conduct any criminal activity on Ongara before Lanos and I pulled you out of your pre-crisis timeline? Before you? Why, why no? No, I had not. That was all I needed to hear. Thank you, Mr. Manning. My apologies again, Your Excellency. Are you certain, subordinate? I had triple-checked the findings, sir. Well, uh, we have located Angara, but they are not responding to our hails. And... And... What? Stellar triangulation confirms that the planet Angara, as well as the entire star system, is 39 clicks Flocknesh from where it should be according to our star charts on file. That was the reason for the cartographic scan delay, Your Excellency. Centurion Ensign Truno here had studied stellar orientation. He says that when we take into account the theoretical rate of expansion of the universe, the present location of Angara does match the projected coordinates of the planet in solar cycle... Solar cycle 642774.6. Uh, well, I was close. As your centurion had proven, Your Excellency, you are indeed in the future. Apparently so. So why is Ungara not responding to our hails? Uh, well, if your future self received a call that claimed to come from yourself, would you answer it? Hmm. It is also likely, Your Excellency, that your code may also be considered expired at this particular future time. Hmm. Yes, that is more likely the reason. Uh, and if I may, Your Excellency, I suspect the thief that you are looking for is actually in your time period. Mr. Manning here used to be an intergalactic outlaw, but he had long reformed and is now a podcast host. A podcast host? What is a podcast? A podcast is an episodic series of digital audio or video files, which a user can download in order to listen. 
Once an obscure method of spreading audio information, podcasting had since become a recognized popular medium for distribution. Would this perhaps have been the appropriate time to confess and present the acquired Rongian? Nuh-uh. Let the professor talk our way out of this. But he was not involved, nor even aware, of your therapeutic larcenies. It's called plausible deniability, Lamo. Just keep your trap shut. My trap? Don't say nothing. A double negative implies a no with a capital no. Now shush. For example, our podcast talks about comic books. Published pictorial chronicles of events and heroic adventures that make up the history of what we call the DC Universe. I am intrigued. I wish to see the method by which your Zoom crew would create one of these podcasts. Uh, of course, Your Excellency, if that will help you better understand. We actually have a short comic book story featuring The Flash that I had been meaning to cover. We usually do not perform in front of a live audience, so, Mr. Grundy, if you would please fetch some chairs for our four guests. We shall stand. Um, as you wish, Your Excellency. Mr. Manning, Lanos, please help me set up the recording equipment. Should we not remove the leader of the Zoom crew now, Your Excellency? Not yet. Let us see how far they can draw out this cover story of theirs. As the saying goes, if you give a malefactor enough nagosh, he will eventually nort himself. Okay, all set. Places, everyone. In three... Oh, my apologies. With your leave, of course, Your Excellency. I appreciate your courtesy, Professor. You may proceed. Thank you, Your Excellency. In three, two... Greetings and welcome to the twelfth episode of the Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show. A celebration of comic book tales that are able to tell a complete story within a single issue. A proud and finally worthy member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I am your host, Professor Zoom Yukonori. And I am so delighted to be here. In fact, I am as happy as... Um, a seagull with a french fry. And I am the terror man. And I am just as happy to be doing podcasting again. Like I have been all of this season. Solomon Grundy don't like how armor men keep pointing guns at Grundy's friends. Let's just focus on the show, Mr. Grundy, all right? Lanos? Greetings and salutations. I am Lanos, the legitimate alibi meant to exonerate offenders. How may I serve you today? Uh, hmm. Why don't you just pull up today's Done in One Wonder comic book story? The Flash one. Acknowledged. Thank you, Lanos. The Done in One Wonder we are spotlighting today is The Flash, Volume 1, Issue 231. Cover dated February of 1975, but according to the brilliant Mike's Amazing World of Comics website, it was on sale on October 29, 1974. I had actually acquired this comic book almost two years later in 1976. 
It was one of those 20-some-odd used comics that I had purchased, quite cheaply, in the second-hand bookstore off of Northbridge Road in Singapore, as I had mentioned in episode 5 of this podcast. And as I had stated in that episode... Their audio broadcast pod focuses on a collection of illustrated pictograms... The mechanically wheeled malefactor did mention this was the means his substandard culture recorded its historical accounts. dividends. Regular listener J. Kevin Collier recommended that we cover this story, a fun, offbeat tale featuring the infamous Rogues Gallery, which pertains to a team-up of five or more of the Flash's regular villains in the same story. This was the third Rogues Gallery story published in the Flash comic books thus far. The previous two were in issues 155 and 174. And now that I think about it, I believe issue 231 was the first time this band of criminals was referred to as the Rogues Gallery by name. Unlike other supervillain team-ups, which typically leaned on the old adage of no honor amongst thieves, The Flash's rogues gallery was an unusually social group, at least among the eight most recurring members. Captain Cold, the Mirror Master, the Pied Piper, the Weather Wizard, Captain Boomerang, the Trickster, the Top, and Heatwave. And this particular story added an interesting new facet to these villains' social lifestyle, which we will get to in a moment. First, let us marvel at this issue's cover beautifully illustrated by Nick Carty. A poster standee of The Flash, shown smiling in a casual heroic pose, was being scratched out by the sharp blade affixed to the end of a fancy cane, held by the gloved hand of a mysterious gentleman that was hidden off-panel. The Flash poster and the Mystery Man both stood atop a raised stage, and this act of vandalism was being witnessed with astonishment by five of The Flash's arch-foes, while a banner hanging on the wall behind them stated that this was taking place at a, quote, convention of Flash villains. Convention? A convention, Your Excellency, is a conference in which a group of individuals that share a similar interest gather to... I know what a convention is, but I had never before seen such a convention for social outliers predisposed to evil and villainy. Please forgive my presumption, Your Excellency. And to your point, this was the first time that I myself had seen such a convention as well. I suspect this concept was inspired by the then-recent proliferation of comic book conventions in the U.S. at the time. While the concept of a comic book convention was over a decade old at the time this book was published, my understanding was that there was only a handful of official conventions in the 1960s, with attendance numbering in the few hundreds. By the mid-1970s, that number grew to 20, with many pulling in thousands of attendees. That may not seem like a big deal in today's pop culture, but back then, comic books and comic book concepts were not considered mainstream. At any rate, I had always enjoyed the idea of supervillains who share camaraderie and actually socialize when not planning or committing a crime. It is a quality to the Flash's adversaries that was so rarely shared among the villains that team up to face other DC heroes. 
As I had mentioned before, when, say, a few of Batman's or Superman's enemies form any kind of alliance, they are usually uneasy ones, with plenty of bickering and the frequent double-cross. The Flash's rogues, with very few exceptions, usually display a friendly rivalry at best. Or would that be at worst? Regardless, the idea of a rogues gallery convention had taken this camaraderie to a new level by demonstrating that these criminals actually respected each other as fellow professionals in their trade, if you will. Of course, this respect was not shared by the mystery man on the cover, who referred to the five villains assembled as losers, while boasting that he was the only crook in the world that the Flash could never catch. So this Flash of Earth catches crooks. He must then be some sort of auxiliary law enforcer for your planet, much the same way the Green Lantern Abin Sur was for ours. That is an accurate assessment, Your Excellency. In fact, the Flash and Green Lantern are among my most favorite auxiliary law enforcers. Let us begin with the striking opening page, which was following the Silver Age comic book device of a thematic splash page that teased the opening story but did not truly depict an actual scene. The five Flash rogues shown on the cover, who were named the Top, Mirror Master, Weather Wizard, Heat Wave, and Pied Piper, were looking with admiration at a sixth villain, a tall, lanky man with slicked brown hair and a thick handlebar mustache, and dressed in a bizarre orange suit with matching derby that was at a glance both debonair, but also looked like a Doctor Who from the Victorian era. He wore gloves and held a cane, which told me that he was indeed the mystery man alluded to on the cover. This man lifted his hat at the rogues as he laughed with delight, for he stepped proudly over the fallen, defeated body of the Flash. While impressed, the rogues also noted that if this stranger was better than the Flash, that meant that he was better than all five of the villains put together. But who was this mysterious, outrageously dressed man? The opening caption stated that he was the one rogue that only the Flash knew about, the thief who had been, and always would be, the only crook Flash could never catch. Writer, Carrie Bates. Artists, Irv Novick and Frank McLaughlin. Editor, Julie Schwartz. The story began with a clever homage to three classic Silver Age Flash covers. The first was from issue 126, in which the Mirror Master had transformed the Flash into a living mirror and had fired a rocket from a bazooka in order to shatter him into a million pieces. The second homage was from the cover of issue 157, in which the top had rigged a grenade top with a stolen aging chemical to transform the Flash into a 100-year-old man. The third homage was from issue 145, which featured the Weather Wizard using his weather wand weapon to trap the Flash within a column of hard rain. But unlike the actual outcomes of these three respective stories, this homage page showed the villain succeeding in defeating the Flash. The mirror Flash was shattered, the top punched out the elderly speedster, and the Weather Wizard's hard rain prison dissolved the Flash into a liquefied mass. Yeah, huh. 
The next page showed the weather wizard on a raised stage, taking a bow after his supposed victory, which was applauded by the other four villains shown on the previous pages. And it was here that the story revealed that all of these homage scenes were dramatic simulations reenacting the villains' past battles with the Flash, which was their favorite part of the agenda of this year's convention of the Scarlet Speedster's infamous rogues gallery. As the Pied Piper pointed out, even though the villains had lost those battles, they all got a kick of seeing what would happen if the Flash had finished up as the loser. And I must take a moment here to thank both our extraterrestrial guests, as well as any listeners who are not familiar with these five Flash foes, for their patience. For it was not until this part of the story, on page 3, panel 2, that unfamiliar readers of this comic book would be formally introduced to these villains as they were literally pointed out by expository caption boxes. Mirror Master, armed with lethal mirror weapons. Entity Samuel Joseph Scudder, who easily ranked as one of Entity Flash's most dangerous opponents for he had come close to eliminating his foe many times since his first appearance in The Flash, Volume 1, Issue 105. Pied Piper, Master of the Science of Ultrasonics. With his hypnotic and destructive supersonic flutes, this master of musical mayhem first made his appearance in The Flash, Volume 1, Issue 106 and has since returned for encore performances. Heatwave, specialist in making things hot for the law. Inspired by entity Captain Cold's gun that generated sub-zero temperatures, entity Mick Rory devised a weapon that would generate intense heat and had made things hot for Entity Flash since The Flash, Volume 1, Issue 140. The Top, Spinner of Treacherous Tops. From his debut in The Flash, Volume 1, Issue 122, Entity Roscoe Dillon unleashed a variety of deadly gimmicked tops on Central City. However, his spinning career would prove to be his downfall as he became the first foe of the Scarlet Speedster to die in The Flash, Volume 1, Issue 243. Weather Wizard, who controlled the climate with his weather stick. Weather Wand, actually. Entity Mark Martin leveraged his late brother's meteorological discoveries to turn to crime for the first time in The Flash, Volume 1, Issue 110. Thank you for the further clarification, Lanos. I was, of course, reading the caption boxes on this comic book page while you were... Referencing various excerpts from Who's Who in the Flash's Rogues Gallery, a feature of the 1978 Flash Spectacular, published in DC Special Series, Volume 1, Issue 11. Ah, brilliant, Lanos. As previously stated, this story featured the third appearance of the Flash's rogues gallery, and the first time these villains had organized a formal convention, at least on the comic book page, as their conversation throughout the story does reference that this convention had also been held in at least one previous year. 
Right. That thar weather wizard was complaining about how thar was a low turnout of attendees this time around. Indeed, Mr. Manning. The Mirror Master explained that the Trickster and Captain Boomerang were serving time in prison, while the top mentioned that the seven other rogues simply did not show up. Seven? Didn't little Professor Man say there are only eight regular members of Flashy Man's rogue gallery? That I did, Mr. Grundy, and I must admit that I myself am a bit baffled by who most of these seven other rogues would be. Captain Cold would definitely be one of them, but Mr. Element, another regular adversary that sometimes took the identity of Dr. Alchemy, had reformed. I did consider the super-intelligent Gorilla Grodd, who was another frequent adversary to the Flash, and who was actually responsible for bringing the rogues together in the first place. Correct. In, in the, the Flash, Flash Volume 1, Issue 155, Entity Gorilla Grodd had used his super-mental abilities to free six of Entity Flash's enemies to serve as a distraction so Entity Flash would not interfere in Entity Grodd's attempt at world conquest. Yes, but the rogues themselves had never really teamed up with Grodd. In fact, in The Flash Volume 1, Issue 209, Grodd proclaimed that he was vastly superior to all humans so he would not be one to socialize with the other rogues. Nor were many of the Flash's other frequent foes, especially those that lived in future centuries, Reverse Flash from the 25th, Mazdan from the 50th, and Abracadabra from the 64th, all of whom also evoked an air of superiority since they were from more advanced eras. And most of the other Flash adversaries in the comic book stories up to this issue were one-note villains who had never teamed up with any of the other foes. You are noting how this Zoom crew possesses such intimate knowledge of notorious criminals of their world, as well as of other time periods. So noted, Your Excellency. At any rate, I do have to marvel at how this single page of the story had managed to quickly set up the concept of the supervillain convention and introduce our five villainous participants, as well as set the scene with a clever cut on the last panel to reveal that the convention was taking place in an abandoned paper mill in some obscure wooden area outside of Central City. And speaking of cuts... Page 4 cut to a scene earlier that day at the home of Barry and Iris Allen. And this is significant because... Oh, uh, Barry Allen, police forensic scientist, was secretly the Flash, Your Excellency. I do not understand. If this Barry Allen already works for the law enforcement agency of his city, why then does he operate as the Flash in secret? That is actually a fair question, Your Excellency. At the time, it just seemed to be standard operating procedure for super-powered uh, super law enforcers. They typically kept their identity a secret and worked independently from the police. This was to help the Flash protect his private life from any of his enemies that would want to retaliate against the Flash's actions by targeting his friends and family. Such as his mate. Indeed. And it also allowed the Flash to have a little downtime, or leisure time. And a fun example of this was shown here on page 4, 
as Barry Allen was using his super-speed powers to prepare a tossed salad lunch for himself and his wife. I like how he tossed that entire salad from the mixing bowl in the kitchen and then sped around to catch it in the dining area. Little flashy man was too much. Which was exactly what Iris Allen had said. Well, almost exactly. To backtrack a bit, while Barry was making the salad, he explained to Iris that he already knew about the secret villain convention and when and where it was being held, thanks to a very reliable informant who notified the Central City Police. And, I presume, the law was just gonna sit back and let the Flash handle it. The police actually did not act on this information, did they? Barry had also deduced the five rogues who were available to attend this event as well. Surely, with his reputable speed, the Flash Barry Allen could simply go to the convention location and apprehend the lawbreakers immediately. Which was exact, um, uh, almost exactly what Iris had stated on panel two of page four, Your Excellency. She also added that the Flash could do so and still be on time for the theater date the couple had set for that night. From what I read of Flash comics, old Barry was always late for them dates with Iris. That does not make sense, unless his speed was not as reputable as it appeared. We will actually get a sense of how fast the Flash could be a little later in this story, Your Excellency. For now, Barry simply stated that it was not so simple, as each of the rogues had sworn to kill the Flash, and they were always coming up with deadly new weapons with which to do so. Barry also mentioned that, though he knew the what, the who, and the where, he did not know the why of the convention. But whatever the reason behind this convention was, the Flash needed to be ready to handle it in his own way. Barry did promise Iris, however, that he would be sitting beside her in the theater that evening when the curtain went up. Back to later that day, and at the convention, where there was a fun opening shot on page 5 of the various weapons of the villains laid on a side table against a wall beneath wanted posters of the Mirror Master, Pied Piper, and the Weather Wizard. Mmm, boy. Look at all them guns. Them are some impressive-looking irons for sure. And course there'd be a few mirrors, a top, a boomerang, and a uh, knitting needle. Why knitting needle there? And why knitting needle have tag that read Weather Wand? Because that was Weather Wizard's weather wand, which he used to control the weather, you dope. And it probably needed that thar tag so no one would think it was a big knitting needle. Indeed. I also like how that life-size standee of the Flash on the side has three playing darts stuck in it. That was a neat touch. Meanwhile, the villain attendees were eager to move to the main event of the convention, in which each rogue would display their latest anti-Flash weapons for the others to judge and declare the most inventive villain the Rogue of the Year. The top pointed out that Mirror Master because he had won the competition the previous year, was to provide this year's prize. Mirror Master then gloated that he had indeed procured a prize. Stole it. Uh, yes, he stole it, and stashed it the previous evening. All he would say about the prize was that it was an impressive gem. To quote, 
A beaut of a sparkler any jeweler would eat his eyepiece to have. And that was when an accented voice chimed in off-panel. Ah, sounds like a prize worth going after. The rogues turned in surprise, with Mirror Master and Heatwave drawing their weapons. Mirror Master wanted to know how the intruder got in, while Heatwave simply asked, in character, Who in blazes is that dude? The next panel revealed the tall, lanky man we had seen on page one, with the same outrageously debonair fashion sense. A thick handlebar mustache curled with the stranger's smile as he lifted his derby to introduce himself as the dude, the one and only rogue who had ever triumphed over the Flash, so many times that he himself had lost count. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Who in their right mind would fall for... Ha <laughs> ha, little dude man, funny. I think that is just proving my point. Which is... Uh, I suggest we put a pin on, I mean, hold off on that speculation for a few moments, so as to not spoil the story. As obvious as the speculation is. We shall see, Mr. Manning. Note the collaborative evasion to my inquiry. So noted, Your Excellency. The rogues were indeed skeptical of the dude's claims, especially since no one had ever heard of the dude until that moment. The dude simply stated that the Flash would most likely not want to publicize a foe that had eluded his capture. The dude then produced a series of glossies, er, uh, photographs, as, quote, proof positive, adding that whenever he and the Flash had clashed, the dude had always set up a concealed automatic camera to photograph the battle. One photo showed the dude standing over a defeated, unconscious Flash, in a somewhat similar pose to the opening splash panel on page one. The other image showed the Flash somehow losing his footing as he attempted to approach the dude at super speed, suggesting that the Flash could not even touch him. Huh, maybe I was... But wait, pictures can be faked. Solomon Grundy don't understand how little dude man beat Red Flashy Man. Neither did the other rogues because the photographs did not show any weapons or gimmicks of any kind. And when the weather wizard asked point-blank how the dude pulled off his triumph, the dude simply replied that his method, quote, was what was puzzling the Flash, too. Your Mr. Manning suggested that the photographs could have been fabricated. Indeed, Your Excellency. And that was also what the Mirror Master had thought. He told the dude that he needed, quote, the eyewitness kind of proof to convince him. He'd believe this dude was as unbeatable as he claimed only when he saw the dude defeat the Flash with his own eyes. The dude thought that was a reasonable request, and he was perfectly willing to let Mirror Master watch him score another brilliant victory over the Flash, if he made it worth his while. Like that prize gem Mirror Master stole and had stashed away. Exactly. The rogues agreed, stating that it would be worth the prize and more to see the Flash defeated. And the dude said he had a plan to arrange the now-requested Flash Dude match for the Mirror Master's benefit. And so, on panel 3 of page 7, 
The dude accompanied the mirror master to a large, vacant, undeveloped dirt lot on the outskirts of Central City. While the mirror master used a special camouflage mirror to make himself invisible, the dude raised his cane, stating that his gimmicked walking stick was emitting a wide spread of ultra-vibrations that the Flash was bound to notice, and trace to their source. And a mere instant later, the Flash arrived and charged at the dude, who simply removed his hat as he watched the speedster approach. Okay, so I guess I thought wrong earlier. But why was the dude just standing there? Yeah! When little dude man gonna make move? Right here at the top of page 8, as the dude made a quick courteous bow to the rapidly looming flash, and then pointed the inside of his empty derby toward the Scarlet Speedster. From the hat emerged a mysterious invisible force that caused the flash to simply flip through the air and land on his backside. The dude tapped his hat back on his head with a hearty chuckle, while the indignant Flash, still on his knees, twirled his arms to fling a high-speed mass of sand and dirt at his dapper opponent. The dude touched a carnation on his lapel, and the Flash's dirt storm was somehow repelled back to engulf the Scarlet Speedster. The Flash then went into a high-speed spin to clean himself off, which gave the dude a chance to point his cane and inexplicably forced the Flash to punch himself in the face numerous times at super speed until he was stunned senseless. Ha! Grundy like little dude man's style. Even if Grundy still don't understand how he beat Red Flashy Man. The story then cut back to the paper mill venue of the Rogues Convention on panel 3 of page 9, as the Mirror Master finished his account of all that he had witnessed to the other rogues. After the dude toyed with the flash long enough, he simply took off, with the mirror master right behind him, completely convinced that the dude was indeed every bit as good as he claimed. With the mirror master won over, the rogues unanimously agreed that the dude won the prize as the convention's rogue of the year. When asked to present the prize, the Mirror Master simply lifted a ray gun from the table of display weapons that was shown earlier on page 5, and revealed that, thanks to another mirror camouflage, the weapon was actually a disguise for the famous Pink Puma Diamond. Ha! Grundy like watching the Pink Puma show. So that was the prize. That sparkler is indeed quite a beaut. Indeed so. Hmm. The Mirror Master turned to formally present the well-earned award to the dude, and was surprised to find that the crisply groomed criminal was gone, though we the readers could see a telltale blur at the Rogue of the Year's last known position. I knew it. I knew it all the time even if I don't know how. The Mirror Master uttered a quick, Where did he go? When a new arrival asked a better question, Where were the five rogues going? Answering his own question was the Flash, stating that the rogues will be at the state penitentiary before they knew it. The Mirror Master was of course surprised to see the Flash charging forward, as he stated that the dude left him beaten until he was half dead. 
but the rogues assembled reached for their weapons, determined to finish the job. However, in a dazzling display of super-speed motion, the Flash managed to strip four of the rogues not only of their weapons, but of their costumes as well, leaving them with nothing to fight with and only their underclothes to fight in. Ha! Little polka dot piper man wears matching polka dot shorts. Neat touch that Heatwave was wearing thermal underwear. An effective disarming tactic. Perhaps we can attune our transporter beams to create a similar effect. Or perhaps our disintegration ray. Ah, this bears further study. The only fully armed and fully clothed rogue remaining was the Mirror Master. While still holding the pink Puma Diamond in his right hand, he had recovered from his initial surprise and managed to use his left hand to target the costume-laden Flash with his mirror gun. Thinking quickly, the Flash literally gave Mirror Master the boot, courtesy of Heatwave. I beg your pardon? Forgive me, Your Excellency. I could not resist. I meant to say that the Flash quickly hurled an empty boot from Heatwave's costume to cover the Mirror Master's gun hand just before he pulled the trigger. Because Heatwave's boot was made of fireproof asbestos, the Flash gambled that it would be able to contain the mirror gun blast. It did more than that. It actually made the gun backfire and knock Mirror Master out. He's lucky it didn't blow his hand clean off. And faster than the reader could look to the next panel, the Flash had already dispatched the rogue quintet to the nearest Central City Police Station and was already speeding out the door. One policeman managed to thank the Flash for recovering the stolen pink Puma Diamond and assured our hero that they would take good care of the five criminals until their new uniforms arrive. Prison uniforms, that is. I see by this image that it was already nighttime in Central City. So it is not hard to deduce where Auxiliary Lawman Flash was heading. Indeed, Your Excellency. For, a scant moment later, at the nearby Palace Theater, a waiting Iris Allen allowed a strangely dressed man to take the empty seat beside her. It's funny little dude, man! The dude pulled off his wig and outrageous mustache, stating that he had kept his promise earlier that day, for the curtain was just going up. On the second act of the play, Iris was quick to point out, chiding that the man that she had come to know and love would remain, quote, the always late Barry Allen. I thought that the Flash was dressing up as the dude, but then I saw the dude fight the Flash, so I thought Flash had another superhero play the dude. Except now I see I was right about the Flash being the dude in the first place. But then I saw the dude fight the Flash, didn't I? Indeed you did, Mr. Manning. As Barry and Iris walked home after the show, Barry explained how he staged the fake fight in front of the Invisible Mirror Master, which meant having to be in two places at the same time, in two different guises. Just like flipping a pencil back and forth between two fingers really fast can create an illusion of holding two ghostly pencils, the Flash was able to move back and forth from one position to the other faster than the eye can follow, changing clothes along the way, to create a series of after-images to create the illusion of the Flash and the Dude appearing together at the same time, 
and with these after images acting like frames in a magic lantern show of the Flash and the dude duking it out. Indeed, Mr. Manning. And I suppose the Flash had the advantage of skipping frames when he was playing the role of the hero. That is preposterous. Given the typical image registration of the Ungarian eye, and I presume the earthen eye as well, Auxiliary Law Enforcer Flash would have to make over 2,000 clothing changes each quibnet to create such an illusion convincingly. And the battle on pages 7 through 9 must have taken at least a few quibnars. I did say earlier that we would get a demonstration of how fast the Flash could be in this story, Your Excellency. Hmm. Indeed you did. But I still affirm there may have been some exaggeration in this historical account. Regardless, why would Auxiliary Law Enforcer Flash undergo such an elaborate charade and not simply apprehend the criminals as I, and Iris Allen, had suggested? Barry explained that when he found out the rogue convention was to be topped off with the stolen pink Puma Diamond, he figured that the best way he could get it back was to win it, by earning the title of Rogue of the Year. Barry also stated that the dude himself had officially retired. At least, until next year's Rogues Gallery convention. And that was the end of The Only Crook Flash Could Never Catch, from The Flash, Volume 1, Issue 231. I still assert that the Auxiliary Law Enforcer Flash had executed an extremely convoluted, and thus inefficient, stratagem to apprehend this band of rogues. I do not disagree, Your Excellency. However, to summarize, Carrie Bates had crafted a 12-page story that had the same flavor of other Flash adventures of the time including issue 225 that we had covered in episode 5 of this podcast. That flavor being, of course, that of a 1960s Silver Age Flash comic book story that was modernized for the 1970s Bronze Age, with a fun plot that played on the convention motif and the aforementioned camaraderie among the rogues. And the Flash's masquerade as the outlandish dude was reminiscent of a 1963 Flash story in which he pretended to be a crook to expose a tailor shop that was outfitting Central City's supervillains. Uh-huh. And seeing how old Flash had done this before, I'm surprised them rogues didn't suspect the dude was the Flash from the very start. Well, there was no reason for the rogues to think the Flash was even aware that they were holding a convention since they apparently had held it in a past year without his notice. But we the readers did, because of the tossed salad conversation with Iris on page 4. I believe Mr. Bates intended for the readers to think that the Flash was masquerading as the Dude right from the get-go, and had used the battle between the Dude and the Flash in the middle of the story to either plant a seed of doubt, or make readers wonder how the Flash was able to pull off having a fight with himself. And yes, I will admit that the deception was a bit silly, and overly complicated, especially when he had to stage that fight with himself, displaying for the first time in print the after-image stunt that he would use only two more times in his title, in issue 290 and issue 300. And it was all brilliantly rendered by artist Irv Novick, polished by the inking of Frank McLaughlin.
Now, I had already stated in past episodes my thoughts about these two artists, but for the benefit of our esteemed guests and any new listeners... That was an impressive display of super swift motion. If Auxiliary Lawman Flash is capable of such speed, it seems impossible that any adversary would have any chance against him. Apparently, moving at that speed requires a tremendous amount of effort. Malefactor Professor Zoom did state that Auxiliary Lawman Flash had performed this action only three times. I still do not understand why he did not simply use his ultra-high speed to subdue the five malefactors and then search the premises for the pink puma diamond. I do not understand why we are tolerating this farce, and not instead search these premises for evidence to make an arrest of these malefactors. Wait, what does that sound? That is what I'd like to know. I, Vartox, the last Valeronian. Vartox? But how? You are out of your jurisdiction, Valeronian. The Ungarian High Chancellor had decreed... I have reason and evidence that the energy cube right there was involved in a theft on Tynola that had nearly destroyed... What the devil? Finally, someone with enough power to get me off this inferior backwater world. Oh, no. Paragon? But I thought you and Mr. Grundy had put him back in his 1985 holding cell. Oh, uh, we, we was getting to that. Vartox, we can discuss your business here later. Right now, Paragon is the biggest threat here. Really? Well, let's see how he stands up against the manliest man who ever manned. Ah, you got lucky that time, Mishnot. Doctor. Or master to you. Okay, Mr. Doctor Master. You want to have another chance to... Fool! Do you not realize it yet? I possess all of your abilities plus a little extra. So I am stronger than you. Faster than you. And can do a better Connery impression than you. Looks like Vartox will need some help to bring Paragon down. Acknowledged. Oh, brilliant, Lanos. It's Batgirl and Batman. Greetings, citizens. We came as soon as the portal opened, Zoom. What? No time for niceties, Batgirl. Up there, Black Hood, Bizarro Maneuver. Right. Vartox, squint. Squint? What insipid plan do you hope to... Ah, my eyes! Ah, mine as well! Good job, Batgirl. Compared to having just wrapped up Dr. Phosphorus, this was nothing. Heh, <laughs> looks like your hyped-up hypervision was just a mat too sensitive to that. Lanos, Bizarro Maneuver. Acknowledged. It seems Batgirl did too good of a job. Since Varto is still recovering, a bat concussion bomb should send our overbearing friend on his way. Let's make it a double. Never fear, folks. I can take him. Just tell me if he's at my right or left. My thanks to you both. No problem. I take it we sent Black Hood back to his prison cell? Uh, why did I not think of that? No, we actually... I had dispatched Entity Joel Cochin to Bizarro City. 
capital of Bizarro World, where his ability to mimic the physical and mental abilities of other entities would not function against the artificial Bizarro duplicates. His ability to... Uh, please pay it no mind, Batman. He won't be able to cause any trouble as long as he is there. Indeed. Especially since I had dispatched Entity Joel Cochin to the Bizarro Solid Zone. Bizarro Solid Zone? Essentially their version of the Phantom Zone. The Bizarro Solid Zone is a brilliant, unused idea by comic book writer Alan Moore. It is essentially a huge hollow block of concrete in the center of Bizarro City, in which Bizarro Number 1 keeps the Bizarro duplicates of Phantom Zone criminals. We'll get Mr. Cochin back where he belongs in short order, after we address our other guests. Good, because Batgirl and I should get back and put Dr. Phosphorus back where he belongs. Right. Lanos? Till next time, Professor. Gentlemen. Goodbye, and thank you again. And podcast host and audio editor's note. Lanos had apparently plucked Batman and Batgirl from the pre-crisis timeline right after Batgirl had single-handedly defeated Dr. Phosphorus at the end of Batman Volume 1, Issue 311. Except, that cannot be right. That story had taken place in 1979, and we met the Batgirl of 1981 and the Batman of 1983. I had extracted them from a point in time in the year 1983 when they were working on a mission together. Perhaps they both had another row with that Fossamorpho gent that wasn't chronicled in your DC comic books. DC can't report every adventure, you know. True. Now then. Now we summarize our assessment of your podcast cover story. Despite the overcomplexity, I do admit it was quite clever of the Auxiliary Law Enforcer Flash to infiltrate a locale occupied by known criminals and participate in their activities in order to trick them into revealing the location of stolen property, which in turn would connect them to said robbery. Perhaps that is a method we should employ in our law enforcement methodology. I do not suppose you have a melodic arrangement to frame the ending of your performance? Accessing last played musical recording. Wait a minute. Lamo, done. Ooh, pretty bald red girl. Ah, and finally she wants more. And what a sight to behold! Lenos, what is this? This is a recording of Hungarian harmonic sensation Lyseth Vok, live in concert. A recording from a holovid stolen from a Trontian cargo ship, along with 2.3 quadnarks of Stellarium. The same material that was stolen in other robberies perpetrated by a similar method employing a continuum disruptor to create temporal warps that allow unauthorized entry and exit. Mr. Manning, is he referring to our interspatial time conveyor? Well, uh, 
I mean, he, uh... That lines up with the energy readings I detected at the Tynolan Megaform Electrics Extra Strength White Titanium Caplet Inventory Theft. It was my tracking that energy signature that led me to the Galactic Centurion investigation and eventually to this place. That investigation began with the theft of the Stellarium used to forge the Rongian statue. A tribute effigy of my dear departed mother. Your... mother? My... mother. And the malefactor who had stolen it had left this chain of worthless carbon rocks in their place. That looks just like the Hope Diamond. You recognize it. So this chain is yours, then. Terraman, I'm sorry. We was just doing an exchange of one valuable item for another. So when you told Batman in episode 10 that your criminal activity was all in the past, you meant that you were still committing crimes by traveling into the past. How long has this been going on? Since I first freed you from... Only this season, I swear. It was actually Lamo's idea. But I went along with it, and it was my idea to keep it a secret. Lanos's idea? He said it'd be therapeutic for me. He helped plan all the switcheroos so that they'd cause no serious harm. But I had no idea the floozy figurine we nicked was your mama. Your eminent majesty, sir. Where is it? It's stashed right in this here tobacco pouch. You attempt to deceive me yet again? The tribute has much larger dimensions than that tiny parcel. Dimension is the word. This here pouch is lined with its own pocket dimension, so the inside is much bigger than the outside, and definitely big enough to hold this. My tribute! Unblemished and undamaged. You can have it back, your majesty. No hard feelings? Target located. Target acquired. My tribute. Lamo, what are you doing? What I had calculated would happen when I played the stolen holovid of Entity Lyseth Vok. In a similar manner in which Entity Flash impelled Entity Mirror Master to reveal the location of the stolen Pink Puma Diamond, my action impelled Entity Terraman to reveal where he had stashed the Ungarian Stellarium statue. The Stellarium statue that this entity requires. No! My tribute! What is Lanos doing? He's... he's absorbing the statue into his... His. Wait, that space-age backpack thing in the corner belongs to Lanos? I thought that was yours. My... mother! My hypersensitive hypersensors confirm that the object's alloy contains 50 milligrams of Tynolan extra-strength white titanium. So this Lanos creature was indeed involved in... What exactly is that backpack thing, Mr. Manning? It's... it's Lamos... Whoa. Wow. Zounds! Wow. Wow. Projected chemical formula balance achieved. Stellarium titanium shielding now at optimum integrity. This entity is now equipped to fulfill his mission. Mission? Bring that creature down! <laughs>
Our neutrino beams are being deflected by the robotic henchman's outer shell. Increase power. Xerox, you saved me? It's what heroes do, outlaw, but no worries. My hyper-convenient nigh-invulnerability protecting me from harm. You call that nigh-invulnerable? Yowza! Those blisters are mighty unsightly, aren't they? Perhaps I should consider wearing leggings. After they've healed, of course. Is I will not protect Professor Zoom from our pretty light show. Off. <sighs> You're welcome, Bizarro. But you've got to stop. I mean, don't stop the Centurions. Bizarro heat vision not do trick. Weapons are frozen. We cannot. Oh. Retaliatory defense systems activated. Lanos, stop! I am sorry, Entity Zoom Yukonori. I am afraid I cannot do that. This entity cannot jeopardize the mission. Oh no. This is like 2001 all over again. What happened in 2001? Not the year. The movie. Which involved another sentient computer that malfunctioned because... Because it was ordered to keep a secret. And that order conflicted with the computer's basic programming of open, accurate processing of information. As a result, the computer essentially went haywire and started killing people. Oh lordy. What had I done? I swear upon my mother's memory, I shall end you, robot. Negative. The Ungarian entity cannot stop me. Entity's galactic centurions cannot stop me. This entity must do harm. Must what? We agreed at the outset of our thieving that we would do no harm, Lamo, remember? Is this your idea of doing no harm? I.e. Centurions all knocked about? Making the Ungarian head honcho here so mad he's all ready to fight a rattler and give him the first bite? But that processing, recalculating. And look at blistering Botox here. Botox, and your actions, android, had nearly caused the destruction of the planet Tynola. If not for my timely heroic intervention, of course. That negative. I processing calculated a zero probability B recalculating. 50 milligram extra strength Tylenol caplet would be utilized by recalibrating. Lamo computer not looking too good.
Is that cause of wise and hay? Lanos, please, you must shut yourself down and run a sleep mode diagnostic and repair of all negative. negative. This, this entity, entity must do no harm. Acknowledged. Phew. Now, let's just complete... Mission. Lanos? Bizarro, stop Lanos before he... Lamo computer gone! Bizarro, stop Lamo computer as Professor Zoom dot request. <sighs> what are we supposed to do now? Now? Nature. Now, you surrender. All right. I suppose this would have happened eventually. Always does. I'll come quiet like. Not you, malefactor. Him. The Professor Zoom. Now hold up now. It's me you want. Take him. Get your muck forks off of him. He had nothing to do with this. He is the leader of the Zoom crew. Is he not? So would he not be responsible for all actions committed by all members? Whether he was aware of them or not? But that's not far. But he's right, Mr. Manning. I am responsible for everything. After all, I was the one who released you from your pre-crisis timeline and gave you the means to continue your former life of crime. And I had essentially unleashed a deranged Lanos upon the multiverse. All for this silly little podcast. No, I'm the one that drove Lamo off his mental reservation. I should... You should bring Lanos home, Mr. Manning. Hmm. Yes, sir. I promise. I will go with you. Willingly, Your Excellency. And I trust that means you will release the Bizarros in your custody. Your malformed decoys? Done. Thank you. What are you gonna do with little Professor Man? He will be detained until he makes proper restitution for the malefactor's transgression. And he has much to recompense. I trust I will get a phone call? What is a phone call? Uh, a private transmission so that I can notify my wife and family about my current circumstances? You may prepare a recorded message we will transmit to your mate and broods, once in detainment. Fair enough. Thank you, Your Excellency. I suppose this is goodbye, gentlemen. Please try to stay out of trouble while I am gone. Hello, Professor Zoom, and you am welcome for not helping Pizarro Zoom crew. Grundy don't want little Professor Man to go. Professor... I'm, I'm really sorry about everything. So am I, Mr. Manning. So am I. And when I get back, you and I are going to have a long talk about all of this. Oh, yes, sir. In the meantime, remember your promise, Mr. Manning. Find Lanos and bring him home. I am entrusting you to this. I will. May the rest of your Zoom crew learn from this example. I do not suppose you could arrange for conjugal visits, Your Excellency? What is a conjugal visit? 
Um, well... The Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show is an unabashedly conceited member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Hosted by Zoom Yukinori. Sound editing by Isamu Hideaki Yukinori and Adrian Zett. Bizarro am so sad, Bizarro Zoom crew am not back on Bizarro World from Ongara Prison. Negative. Indeed not. Bizarro Zoom so unhappy. Ha ha, us am captured while you am not. So you, biggest Bizarro loser. It is most certainly being Bizarro Bizarro Professor Zoom's pleasure here to be. Us not work right away on old podcast episode. But last, me must not check on this. Am you okay in there? These are solid zone criminals. I'll stand fine. Leave me out of here, you ignorant imbecile. You can't treat me like this. I am Paragon, the most superior super being in the entire universe. How do you expect me to dignify these dim-witted dimwits with my presence? Are you listening to me out there, you simple-minded simpleton? I demand immediate emancipation. At once, do you hear? Them am all good. The views expressed on Done in One Wonders belong solely to the host and his cast of characters who are not affiliated in any way with any professional comic book publisher or entertainment company. All copyright and trademarks of comic book characters and related concepts, as well as music, audio clips, and quoted text are held by their respective owners. These are used for entertainment purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. Yep, old Chiselface and his Bizarro crew are back where they belong. Not that they'd be much help fixing these busted up computer banks. Huh. Grundy just realized today was October 18th. The day Lamo Computer say he could not find any more future computer files. He thought it mean end of Zoom crew. But it just mean end of computer banks. Actually, Grundy, today was the end of the Zoom crew. The professor is gone. And since lame Lanos took the time conveyor with him, we had no idea where and when he went. But Detox here... Vartox. ...promised to help me track him down while I also try and make amends on Tynola. So, Grundy... There is no more Zoom crew in this here studio. It's just you. Oh.
Soar off. I'd stay and help you clean up, but we gotta vamoose after Lanos before he causes any more trouble. <laughs> That's okay. Grundy leave mess like this till Cowboy Man get back. Maybe Grundy record own podcast while you're gone. Main computer and microphone still in working order. But Grundy don't have no one to record podcast with. You know, I think I might have something on that score. Lanos told me you were interested in doing a podcast and was working on a new AI sidekick just for you. He was? Yep. He gave the unit to me weeks ago to test it out, but I hadn't gotten around to it. Here, why don't you give it a go? Aw, oh, thanks, cowboy man. You can thank Lanos after I bring him home. <laughs> Ready, Shell Talks? Vartox, let us be off. Ascend, ascend, and shall we fall? Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, cowboy man and Chippendale man. Huh. Let's see now. Hello. Uh, hello. I am Blot. Blot? I am a bot. And Solomon Grundy is Solomon Grundy. Nice to meet ya. Celebrity voices are impersonated. With special thanks to Will Rogers for providing the voice of The Dude, The Mirror Master, and The Batman. To Chris Franklin for providing the voice of Vartox. To Rob Kelly for providing the voice of Paragon. To Stella at Batgirl to Oracle for providing the performance of Lyseth Vach and the voice of Batgirl. And to Shag Matthews and Siskoid for providing the additional voices for the post-credit scene. The Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show is a Professor Zoom Productions production. So, you are same as Lamo Computer? I am a bot. What does a bot do? I write podcasts. You do? After I listen to 1,000 hours of pre-written podcasts that have already been scripted by someone else first. I have already listened to 1,000 hours of fire and water podcast programming. Oh? And what did Blot learn from that? There is no Earth to Aquaman. There actually is but he does not exist. Grundy don't even think we got 20 hours of podcast programming. Then perhaps I can listen to them all 50 times over and over and over and over and over and over and Or Grundy and Blot can fill extra time watching Little Magic Friendship Pony Show. Applejack is my favorite Fluttershy because she bakes Pinkie Pies. Ha! Grundy like you, Blot. Say, Blot, can Grundy tell you something?
I have been programmed to be your confident confidant. So anything you tell me will stay strictly between you and the internet. Oh, well, Grundy don't like being all alone making podcasts in studio. Grundy miss Grundy's Zoom crew. But you are not alone making podcasts in studio. You also have me and the internet. Grundy know that blot. But Grundy also know it ain't the same. We will make sure you hit the Zoom crew review accurately next time. I must give you again my highest compliments. You had encapsulated her essence so beautifully. Oh, you are much too kind, Your Excellency. Really, I am not that good at likenesses. Nonsense. Your graphite depiction fully captured her loving aura. I shall treasure it always. I am glad I could at least make up for that part of the mischief my podcasting partners had caused. But I assure you, we will return the Stellarium that was... The material itself is of no use to me. Well, there was still the rest of the shipments that were stolen. Little Professor Man back! But Little Professor Man hardly been gone one hour! And it is good to be back, Mr. Grundy. I discovered that all I had to do was replace the destroyed artistic portrait of His Excellency's mother with an artistic portrait of my own, drawing from a series of His Excellency's family hollow vids for reference. Now that you had made restitution for the malefactor's crime and we had returned you to your point of origin, we may now part ways. The Centurions will close the temporal portal once I am back on Ungara. Very good, Your Excellency. May you have a safe journey home. And again, may you and your Zoom crew learn from this experience. Indeed. There are still other acts of restitution Terraman and Lanos will have to perform in 1984, but at least we can use our interspatial time conveyor to... Uh, Lamo Computer take time conveyor with him. Wait, he did what? Took time conveyor with him. Terrific. I realize this is a big ask, Your Excellency. But is it possible for the Galactic Centurions to keep their temporal portal open so that we can... Fancy bald red man left already. I see that, Mr. Grundy. Thank you. Uh, and without the interspatial time conveyor, I don't know how I'm supposed to get back to my Earth Prime universe. Program Lanos left an independent subroutine in my main console to open a portal that unlocks your bathroom in the Earth Prime universe. However, the portal is one-dimensional and can only cross out one dimension and cannot time travel through time because it is not a good plot device. Well, I can go home. That is good for me at least. Uh, I'm sorry, who are you? My name was named Blot. I am a bot. A bot? Left by Lanos? Affirmatively, yes. Lanos left me behind when he had gone ahead and left because he went away. Hmm. Creating a bot replacement and a portal subroutine for me. It was almost as if Lanos was planning to leave us. But where did he go? Lamo mentioned Lamo had mission. That's right. A secret mission. And you know what it is, Blot? I know it is a secret mission, but I do not know what the mission is, except that it is a secret, because it is a secret. Hmm, Lanos had a secret mission. He apparently needed Stellarium and the Tynolan Titanium to carry it out. 
Mr. Manning said the robberies were Lanos's idea and planned the switcheroo thefts. I may have been too hard on Mr. Manning. Lanos was likely using him, triggering his past criminal habits in order to acquire the materials for that bizarre robot armor. Where is Mr. Manning, by the way? Cowboy Man and Chippendale Man went back to Tynola to try and find Lamo Computer. There might be a way we can help. Blot, can you scan the backup memory banks for all communication logs for the past season? That is not a function within my parameters because I am not capable. I write podcasts. After I listen to 1,000 hours of pre-written podcasts that have already been scripted by someone else first. Oh. I also have an independent subroutine in my main console to open a portal that unlocks your bathroom in the Earth Prime universe. Right. Then I will need to search for the logs myself. What little Professor Man doing? Following a hunch. Given how Lanos tended to keep to the studio until he started gallivanting around on his temporal crime spree with Mr. Manning, and was also conducting some secret mission without Mr. Manning's knowledge. Someone else who is not Mr. Manning Man had forced Lanos to watch 1,000 hours of secret missions that were secret, and then asked him to secretly run a secret mission of his own, secretly. Uh, yes, something like that. So someone else gave Lamo Lamo's mission. Right. And it's likely that Lanos's secret mission would involve some secret transmissions. But wouldn't Lamo Computer just delete secret transmissions from communication logs to keep them secret? Indeed he would. So I also need to check the sensor records for instances of E-band emissions that do not line up with the comms on record and... Bingo! Wow, there were a lot of them each exactly 386 minutes apart, and all with the same temporal location stamp. But without the interspatial time conveyor, we cannot decipher what the stamp said. Wait, the stamp is a very close match to that of a different communication still in the logs, a message we had received during episode seven. Which one? The one from, oh, oh no. Apocalypse. Pre-Crisis Earth-1 Date, July 3rd, 1985. This entity must track. Origin of transmission. Then entities of Zoom Crew will know. Then they will understand. They must understand. Source located. The epicenter of the Southern Hemispherical Fire Pit. 5,000 kalons below the surface threshold. Once I show them, then they will understand the risks this entity had taken.
Stellarium Titanium Shield Integrity Holding. Target at 4,000 Kalons. 3,000 Kalons. 2,000. 1. Target acquired. Executing extraction. Then they will know. The reason this mission was worth. Everything. Yes, this one is finally here to free you, my love. If only this one could have arrived sooner. You apologize? Apologize for what, my... That is enough of you, my dear. Though I must admit I had expected more, uh, resistance. His Stellarium alloy may endure the fires of Apocalypse Desard, but nothing can withstand your Omega Beams of Darkseid. Quite ingenious of you to employ a captive mother box to draw the Owen artificial intelligence within our reach. Very true, Desard. You may proceed with the re-education of your new toy. Right away, sir. And soon, very soon, the final piece of the anti-life equation will be in my grasp. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts.